Greetings and welcome to our Pulse and Foursquare podcast. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins, and I greatly appreciate you have joined us today. Throughout this year of 2022, God has led me to emphasize unity among the Church of Jesus Christ. As written in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, the Apostle Paul wrote to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, especially in these last days in which we live, I believe God is calling His church and His bride to come together as one in Christ. And in doing so, it really displays the beauty of what we are all to be and how His church and His kingdom will grow and reach our world today. So as we go through the Word together, I pray the Holy Spirit will speak to you through these messages and give you wisdom and revelation as to how we are called to be His unified church and then sent out to be witnesses of His Word, His love, and His presence. I pray that you will be blessed by our podcast and that you will be edified and enriched in God's Word today. So may God bless you all. It just keeps getting better, I think. It really does. Um, to, I want to mention, too, our, our youngest uh, person in the church. Uh, congratulations to Jack and Sarah Miller. Yeah. Uh, Daphne Renee was born. We weren't here last week, so we couldn't really... S- speak it in the big service together with all the other churches, but we want to congratulate them, their little daughter, Daphne. I think it was uh, October 25th or 27th around there somewhere. Uh, one of those days she was born up in Kalispell. So, and, and we sent out prayer requests to a number of you to be praying for that, and so the baby's doing well. And uh, and so I don't know if they're, they were doing meals for a while. Jill was kind of helping organize that. So if you if you want to continue to help in that way to make a meal, it's only three of them. Well, one and two and a half. So, <laughs> so if you want to help in that way, see Jill about that. Um, and uh, I want to mention that, um, well, if you weren't here also, um, we finished 1 Corinthians First Corinthians, uh, and so I felt like the Lord is directing us for about a month or so before we'll talk on Christmas, and, and I'm going to do an Advent theme this year for Christmas time. How many of you grew up in a church with Advent? You have the traditional Advent wreath and the candles and stuff, so we're going to do that here uh, as well. But we also want to talk about Daniel. I want to look at the, the book of Daniel, and we're going to go through parts of that, not in its entirety, but highlighting different parts of it. And I feel it's always appropriate um, to mention how Daniel was a man of prayer. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Daniel, as I find it myself in, in my Bible. Right after Ezekiel, and we'll read this in a moment. But um, I want to recognize today in this message of Daniel as a man of integrity. Um, what do you think of a woman or a man of being, being of their word? What do you think of that? What do you think of being a person of your word? I think it's very important. I always admire, I always respect someone that actually keeps their word. 
you know, that I think it's important. Says a lot about someone who keeps their word and also keeps their commitments. Um, that, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people tell me one thing and do another. A lot of hypocrites uh, out there. Christians can be hypocrites. I'm sure we can all, re you know, say that I've been a hypocrite and so are you. <laughs> so turn to your neighbor and tell, no, <laughs> don't, don't do that. Um, but even as our... Uh, as our nation goes to the polls to vote again in a couple days, or maybe you've already had yours in the mail, prayerfully and hopefully we'll choose men and women of integrity and people who uh, keep their commitments, people that also uphold Judeo-Christian and biblical values. Um, what a politician says and promises during campaigning and what they actually do are often two different things, aren't they? So uh, that's why I hope that we can say, well, this person hasn't been a person of their word, and I am definitely not going to vote for them. But uh, persons um, that will do their best, I would say, I would say, you know, it's hard, hard to look at any politician and go, well, they're definitely a, you know, a Christ follower, but I also look at their values and what they believe and what they what they stand for. So I think that's um, something that we need to prayerfully consider when we vote for those that will oversee us in our nation. But um, a better question is, how are you at keeping your commitments? And how are you at keeping your own word and promises? Have you ever made a verbal commitment that you did not keep? <laughs> and I think we all have. I think we all have done that. We've said things that we haven't done, and we've fallen short, and we've given into various things. What have we given into that we didn't follow through with our commitments? Was it fear? Was it uh, selfishness? Maybe it's forgetfulness. Um, it could be selfishness, or whatever it may be, and not following through with those things that we committed ourselves to do. So how do we change this about ourselves? How do we do that? Integrity is really a daily choice of commitment and walking in that faithfulness. So let's look at these first uh, verses in chapter 1 and let's talk about it. Um, just to give you some background of Daniel and, and we'll look at this beginning of what's taking place here. It says, in the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim and the king of Judah into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his god, little g-god, in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his god. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, uh, king or chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome and showing aptitude from every kind of learning, <clears throat> well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, the king signed them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, 
Mishael, and Azariah. And the king official gave them new names. Daniel, um, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? And the king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then com compare our appearance with that of the young man to eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days... They looked healthier and better nourished than any other young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine, and they were to drink and give them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding in all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of time, set the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar after the three years. The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Father God, I ask that you would bring revelation. Holy Spirit, would you give us understanding of what you want us to hear and receive from your word today? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, that's the story of how Daniel started in this, um, as they were exiled, as they were brought into Babylon. Uh, that taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. That um, there's there's interesting things that happen there that that aren't necessarily written, but just some things I want to bring out to think about what was taking place. And uh, so Daniel again was a man of integrity, no matter what the circumstance that he was in. Um, and as Christians, we need to make a daily commitment as well to follow Jesus. We may have the best intentions, um, but what is said about good intentions? <laughs> what is said about good intentions is that what? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. A lot of people have good intentions of, of pursuing and walking with God, but, you know, I'll do it tomorrow uh, hope, hope for the best, maybe next time, but they don't really follow through with really either growing in their faith or making a decision for Christ, period. Um, and so Jesus made it quite clear in the Gospels that if anyone would come after him, we must take up our cross and follow him, die to ourselves, right, uh, and follow him. 
And for some time following our teaching in 1 Corinthians, I felt the Holy Spirit talking about moving into this book and see how Daniel was this a person that kept his commitments. He was a person of integrity, and he remained true to his faith and made the best of life regardless of the cost or the attacks that would come against him that we'll read about in, in other chapters as well. Now, the book of Daniel is obviously about the character Daniel, but it's also a book that contains these historical accounts of Israel going into this captivity as well as eschatological, eschatological, excuse me, future events, uh, also dreams and visions. Um, and during this captivity, God mightily used Daniel. Uh, and he remained faithful to God during these times. He was told to conform his beliefs to that of the Babylonians. Um, God gave Daniel these interpretation of the of dreams of the of the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. First of all, um, gave him prophetic visions of what would take place, along with things pertaining to the end of time, have yet to come. So Babylon, if you know anything about the history of Babylon and how it was a humongous empire, huge empire. Um, and the, it was supposed to have a wall that was, they used to run chariot races around the wall on, in Babylon. It was huge, um, thinking that they were never, ever going to be conquered. But later on in this book, we find out they were by the, um, by the um, Persians and the, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire that came in and, and eventually attacked them. But... Uh, Babylon was this humongous nation that, that thought that nothing could ever go wrong with it and never crumble, but it did. Um, it actually uh, conquered Egypt, and eventually then uh, Judah and the destruction of Jerusalem, you can read about it. It's, it. It was not just a city, but it was also, uh, Babylon was seen as a lifestyle, kind of like America being an American, okay, but it was, uh, I, there's an ideal or an understanding that Babylon was not just a city, but it was a way of life, mentality, culture, philosophy. It symbolized the epitome of selfishness as well. Just as Isaiah chapter 47 describes the Babylonian mindset was, um, I am and there's none besides me. That's kind of how the Babylonian mindset was. This mindset came from none other than the leader, King Nebuchadnezzar himself, uh, one of the most powerful rulers of ancient history. And so from ar archaeological evidence, it's been found that throughout the, the city, King Nebuchadnezzar's name and image was pretty much put on everything. So he liked to see himself on everything. <laughs> the, the coinage, you know, the, the pictures or, or paintings, whatever. It was everywhere, um, virtually on everything. And, but he was also known um, not for just being king, but his brutality. Um, he killed, he destroyed uh, many other nations, and also the descendants of Israel and their homeland. Interestingly enough, God later 
because of his lack of humility, uh, it was actually said that you will be driven away for seven seasons uh, and eat the grass of the field. And so he did. He actually went crazy. He went literally crazy and he was out in the pastures eating grass like a cow for that period of time. Until one day he came to a sentence and he was humbled. Believe it or not, God humbled this evil king. Uh, Then later in Jeremiah chapter 25 and chapter 27, get this, that God called him his servant. How could God call the servant Nebuchadnezzar one that was so evil and so cruel? Which can show that God can use anybody. And he ultimately can raise up authority, both the righteous and the unrighteous, to accomplish what God wants to do. And God allowed him to conquer the nation of Israel and Jerusalem and destroy it because of the people's disobedience. So in the third third year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, is when Jerusalem was conquered. It was 605 B.C. It was a little over 100 years after Isaiah had prophesied this would happen in Isaiah chapter 39. Isaiah prophesied that after King Hezekiah had some emissaries from Babylon, uh, if you know the story how Hezekiah invited them, and he goes, hey, let me show you a show and tell of the temple and all the good stuff that we have here. And so he showed them the whole temple, all the articles of gold and stuff like that, And it was the most foolish thing you could have ever done is show your enemy your treasures. But he did. He was just really proud of it. He just wanted to show them and show them all the stuff. Well, that was still 100 years later, but Babylon never forgot about those treasures. You know, so yes, they never forgot about it and they conquered and they took every one of them. Now, the two main reasons God gave Judah into the hands of the Babylonians was because of Israel's idolatry for one, and because they failed to observe the Sabbath for the land. In Leviticus chapter 25 and 26, you can read about that. Other invasions of Jerusalem later happened, and the temple and the city were eventually destroyed. And you can see that in 2 Kings chapter 25, read about that part. So that's a little bit of the history of what was taking place here. Nebuchadnezzar brought back all of the people, all the temple items, put them in the temple of his idols, his gods. And then he also took away Judah's future. This is where we lead into what's happening with Daniel. Um, He took these teenage young men and who were of this royal family. Um, They were handsome. They were intelligent So he took those, he went after those uh, primarily because he wanted them to put them into the service of the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And many of them were made eunuchs. You know what a eunuch is? They castrated them. They castrated them and they made them eunuchs so that they could never, ever have children. There will never be any other descendants after you. You will be done. Your lineage will be done. And so if you can only imagine what these people were and these young men were experiencing, oh my. You know, they were uh, put into this strict training. 
they were uh, being put into the, into the ways of Babylon for these three years so that the, they could enter into the king's service. So they went to this Babylonian school, king's school, where we're going to not only take away everything that you had before, but we're going to um, indoctrinate you into the ways of Babylon. And you may not talk about your God. You may not worship uh, anymore. And, you know, in the fact that um, they were made eunuchs also made it impossible for them to ever enter into worship in the temple of God, Jehovah God. Because the rules of, of not being whole, I guess you may say, they were never able to do that if they were to ever go back to Jerusalem. Not only were they made eunuchs, but they were also forced to have their names changed. And so when they, when, uh, now when you get married, a lot of women, most women change their names for their husband's last name. Children who are adopted are usually given the family name. Um, and what did this name changing signify? What was it significant of? They wanted to eliminate all references to their Hebrew identity and take away all references to their God and, um, and get them to worship the Babylonian gods as well as worshiping Nebuchadnezzar himself. They were in this indoctrination system uh, into this ungodly Babylonian culture and beliefs, but Daniel and his three friends did not waver in their beliefs. There's, you know... I think about this, there's nothing really new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun because we see the same thing happen in present day, don't we? That in our society, in our kids' schools, in our university, there's a huge attempt to silence any biblical worldviews and beliefs and values. Conservative Christians and free speech is being canceled everywhere. And all the more reason we need to learn from Daniel in this, in this passage here. He did not waver in his commitment to God, in his faith, and he was a man of prayer. In our world today, when, you know, I'm not saying that you should never send your kids to public school, never send them to university, there's something of that nature. But I'm just saying that... Uh, they're not usually going to allow you to talk about the Bible. They're not usually going to allow you to uh, talk about biblical values and, the, and such. I was a product of a public school, uh, and I remember even in the mid-'80s, you know, graduating in the mid-'80s, they didn't want us talking about the Bible there either. But I, I did. I had a Bible study, and I went to the principal, and I got permission to have a Bible study in my public school. Um, you know, there was still the ACLU back then, too, and they were trying to silence it and say that you weren't allowed to do such. Um, but all the more, we, we can still make a stand for God. And there was uh, even students in my school that went to the nation's capital back in the 80s and stood, and they were actually given permission that students may lead these things. Uh, we see this even today with kids that called See You at the Pole, and there's a day usually at the start of a school year, that the kids will stand out there and, and pray, pray at the, at the flagpoles. You know, there's always still a remnant of believers in schools today. And it is a, um, 
It is true that a lot of Christians and, and kids that are raised in churches and in youth groups and such, when they go to universities, they turn from God. And that's not good. I don't like that at all. But I, I'm, I'm appreciative of things that there are still Christian organizations on campuses that, uh, you know, even my son Andrew, you know, Chi Alpha and things like that, uh, Campus Crusade, um, there's still things like that on school campuses where they can still grow in their faith and learn from God. That's another story. But um, the names of these young princes, they were actually like princes. They, they had, had their names taken from them. And so they were changed to this pagan Babylonian names. Daniel, which means God is my judge, was changed to Belshazzar, which means Bell's, uh, Bell's prince. Uh, Hananiah, which means beloved of the Lord, was changed to Shadrach, which means illuminated by the sun. Mishael, who, which means who is as God, his new name, Meshach, was who is like Shaq, and Shaq was a pagan god. Azariah, which means the Lord is my help. His new name, Abednego, means the servant of Nego, which is another pagan idol of Babylon. You know, you're no longer able to use your name. And, and we see this even in, in some cultures, and, and I think, I cringe with, with, with history and church history, how, how there's been uh, missionaries that went to different areas. We see it even here on the reservation where, um, you know, when the Catholic priests came in and they were uh, trying to do their best, but what came across is that they said, you know what, you're no longer to be called this name, but we're going to give you a Western name now, a, a white English Western name. And so they were no longer to be called by their um, tribal name. You're, you're only allowed to be called Mary or John or whatever it is. And we're going to take away all of your references to your culture. And this has even happened in recent centuries. You know, that in attempts to bring people to God, they were, they were actually doing it the wrong way. And I thank God for... Uh, new movements of missionaries in other cultures is not to go, you need to remove every ounce of your culture and your name, but rather um, we can go in there and say, you know what, God can redeem some things of culture. Now, there's some things of worshiping idols, of course, we can't necessarily redeem that part, but we can redeem other things of culture that is beauty, and God created that beauty of differences. What can we learn from Daniel's commitment to integrity? In the face of these adversities, there are some things he couldn't change. But there are other things that could never be taken from him. And he was willing to do whatever it took to stay faithful to his beliefs, even if it should cost him his life. So in our world today, how can we take a stand like Daniel did? Number one is we need to commit to Pure, purity and obedience. Commit to that. It says Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. 
And that to have this food and drink as the king um, was considered this great honor. It's like, why would you turn down the king's food, the choice food and wine? Of course, everybody wants that. Common people would have never been able to eat that type of food or drink that wine, but Daniel did not want to defile himself with that. And what may not seem like a big deal, like, come on, give me a break. It was a big deal for Daniel. It was. Little compromises is what often cause some of the greatest falls in our life. When compromises are made, we don't always realize how it affects us, but with many small compromises, they always stack up. They always compound. And if we ignore convictions of the Holy Spirit and don't turn and repent from those things, it will lead us down a path away from God every time. This is often how Satan and his lies work in our lives. When we believe his lies, he gets a foothold in us and with continued compromise, it leads us away from purity and into a number of other problems and addictions. It could be, it could be a little white lie, right? little white lie, not a big deal. Or it could be cheating. It could be drinking alcohol, drugs, gambling, pornography, getting into an ungodly relationship, then sex, food, addictions as well. could be any number of things that we make compromises on. Now, if we ignore those convictions of the Holy Spirit in our lives that he gives us, he, he gives us a check about it. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should stop right now. Maybe you should get out of that situation. He gives us conviction regarding compromises and sins. And if we don't turn from it, if we don't repent, they will often lead us astray. So sooner or later, we grow numb to it. We grow numb to our sin. And our hearts then eventually become cold and hardened to it. And when the disciples asked Jesus about the end of the age, he told them of the events that would take place and described conditions that would uh, be prevalent in the days prior to his second coming. One condition was this. It says in Matthew 24... Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. See, nothing is new under the sun. It's still happening in our world today that, you know, we just, we grow cold. We don't even consider. But now whenever we read a scripture like that, it's usually describing, you know, we kind of view it as, well, that's just society in general. That's just the, the public. That's just people out there. Uh, it wasn't really regarding the general public. It, Jesus was addressing his followers. He's talking about when the love of my followers grows cold. And so the reason we can interpret this is because the word love in that scripture is the Greek word agape, which means God's unconditional love. And that's a spiritual kind of love, usually uh, representing the people of God, followers of Christ. So he's saying those growing cold with this, they will turn from the Lord. They will eventually walk away. Sometimes we don't think small compromises make that 
much difference. We try to be a good person. We try to obey the Lord. But we mess up from time to time. And it's easy to make excuses because no one else is perfect either. Come on. Give me a break. You know, we... And yes, there is grace. I'm not saying there's no grace. At the same time, do we find ourselves saying these things? Come on, everybody's doing it. It's not that big a deal. Do you recall what God asked King Saul to do? He was told to go out and completely annihilate the enemy, the Amalekites, their cattle, their everything. Just wipe them off the face of the earth. Just go and do this. And he did it 99%. 99%. I mean, I just kept back the, the good cattle and the, and the, the sheep. And, and of, oh, yeah, King Agag. I kept him too because I wanted to make him a showpiece. I wanted to make him my trophy. You know, hey, we did it. Killed them all. And then Samuel was told by God to go tell him that you disobeyed. And the kingdom is taken from you now. And so, in Samuel 15, talks about how Samuel went to him. He lost his anointing. He lost his kingdom, essentially. He didn't step necessarily step off the throne right then, but David was shortly thereafter anointed as king, as a young man. Um, it wasn't the biggest thing that God removed Saul from the throne. It was lack of complete obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice, it was said, of Saul. Is there anything God has ever convicted you about that you ignored? <laughs> that... Is there anything today that God is calling you to take a stand for purity and be obedient to that? Do you remember, it said in, uh, as we were going through 1 Corinthians, it said in chapter 6, he, Paul was writing this, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You can do whatever you want. That's fine. You know, God says everything's clean. I can have it all. I mean, come on. But Paul was like, you know what? I'm not going to let these things control me. I'm not going to give myself into addictions. I'm not going to give myself into things that I know is going to be bad for me and, and lead me down the wrong path. Why did Daniel and his friends not want to eat the king's food and wine? Well, first of all, because they were Jewish, right? It was not kosher, guaranteed. It was not kosher. Uh, secondly, it was likely and most likely sacrificed to idols. Um, and third, it implied fellowship and agreement with Babylon. Um, and fourth, the wine was probably also dedicated to the Babylonian false gods. So... With all that, I'm eating the food that I shouldn't be eating as a Jew. I, sh you know, I could I could take it and eat it, uh, even though it's sacrificed to idols. And God would probably still help me and be okay with that, even though they were forced and ingrained into this Babylonian culture. They knew who they were. Still, I know who I am, 
and what I'm not. Do you know who you are? Do you know your identity, who you are and what you're not? That, you know what, we're so swayed by the culture and, and stuff. And, and you know what, I can still take a stand on the word of God and say, you know what, I don't care what the new thing is in the world because I still stand on the word of God. I don't care. I don't care if I will be silenced. I don't care because I'm true to the word of God. I will take a stand. I know my identity in Christ, and I'm not going to be swayed by whatever they say I need to be. As a minister of the gospel, not only myself, but we should all be ministers of the gospel, ministers of reconciliation it talks about. We should all be in ministry of some sorts, that I know who I am, and I'm confident of that. No matter if I'm persecuted, no matter if I'm even put to death. But Daniel and his friends did not want to defile themselves. Being a Christian will have many instances where your faith will be tested, especially in the not-so-big-a-deals. Are you going to be faithful in the big and the little things, or will you just let them slip by? Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. It's, it's a great word of caution against compromise. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his pleasing and perfect will. You know what transformed by the renewing of your mind means? It's actually talking about repentance when I repent the bad, a good definition of repentance means to change the way you think asking God to help change the way you think is what repentance is transformed by the renewing of my mind is actually I am repenting of this and I'm asking God to change the way I think so then I will be able to test and approve what God's will is I'll be able to understand it more Second thing Daniel did is commit to honesty and integrity. Uh, here's some definitions. Uh, commit to honesty. You know, again, are you a person of your word? Honesty is, is so difficult these days. People have no problem lying about anything. You know, salesmen or whatever, whatever it may be. It's just like I have no problem lying about this thing so I can make the deal. Come on, I gotta I gotta sweeten the deal a little bit. But it breaks trust almost every time. Definitions of integrity are this steadfast adherence to a strict moral code or ethical code. It's also the state of being unimpaired or soundness. Or it's the quality or condition of being whole or undivided completeness. Um, that's, that's the definition out of the dictionary of what integrity is. I like to recognize integrity as who you are when no one is looking. That's who what integrity is. It's related to your character. It's just who you are. 
that's who you are. You are a person of integrity. And it's being consistent in your values and in your actions. This consistency is about being the same regardless of the situation that you're in. Are you true to who you are regardless of whatever test that you're going through? People could see that and go, you're true to your faith. You are the real deal. I love it when people say stuff. That's probably the best compliment I think you could ever be given. Daniel was a man of great character. And character is not just based on what we've done, but who we are. When I was a kid, and if I didn't like whatever my mother was making for dinner, I could take a couple bites and go, Ugh. You know, whatever it was. And so I would just kind of like take my fork or spread it out a little bit. You know, just kind of spread it on the plate. Make it look like I had eaten more than I had, hoping I could be uh, excused without eating any more of it. You know, oh, it looks like, yes, it looks like you ate some more. Um. And it actually worked a couple times. <laughs> then I had kids, and they tried doing the same thing. It's like, oh, yeah. I, I did the same thing as you are. You know, no, you're going to have at least a couple more bites of that. Um, and now, now my grandkids, they still do it too. It's like, <laughs> they do it too. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, uh, I'm on to their tricks because I did the same thing. I guess the sin of the fathers is being passed down to other generations. You know, I thought I repented of it. Maybe I haven't. Maybe God cut that off in Jesus' name. <laughs> but when my um, kids were younger, I would often remind them of this script. What did I remind you kids of? Do you remember that scripture I would often quote? Numbers 32 verse 23 says, be sure of this. Your sin will surely find you out. <laughs> now, you might be able to get away with it some or many times. But get this, guys. God loves you. And I would say this. God loves you too much to have you continue going down this path. That even though you might fool your mom or myself, sometimes God loves you too much and will pursue you, will go after you, and yes, your sin will find you out eventually. Those little compromises. The Holy Spirit gives us conviction so that we turn from our sin and we get right with God. And Daniel was not dishonest, nor did he rebel, and nor did he refuse. He asked permission not to eat the royal food. He found favor with his leaders because he made this rather polite request. And showed discretion. Now, he didn't argue, he didn't whine, he didn't complain. Daniel and his friends knew this could cost them something, but they were willing to make that sacrifice to eat only vegetable. That would be a big sacrifice for me, eat only vegetable. But, and drink this water. But by doing so, God gave him favor. He says, just try for 10 days. Let us see for this chief uh, of the eunuchs. He had empathy on him, and he allowed Daniel to do this. And after those 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than all of the others. 
I'm trying to think how vegetables and meat could make that difference. I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't quite figure that one out either. But, um, but it might have been really fatty food. I don't know. It might have been just like really pork and fat all the time, bacon. No, not, never mind the bacon. The bacon is still good. <laughs> no, I think <laughs> we're not going there. <laughs> but, uh, but when making a stand for Jesus, it does not mean that we have to be obnoxious. It doesn't mean that we always have to be rude. And when necessary to protest or object to something that goes against our beliefs in the Bible... It can be done politely. It can be done and respectfully disagree. Not just words, but many times more in our actions can speak louder than words. So we need to be very careful how we speak and keep our word. Many times our words and actions can seem to destroy our witness. In the name of Christ, you know, in the name of being a Christian... Uh, you know, sometimes I shake my head at Christian going, why did you do that? Why did you destroy your witness like that? It just like, it's not benefiting you to go standing on a street corner with a, with a sign and telling people they're going to hell. I mean, you don't need to do with that. That's not the right approach. But many times with our words and actions that we, you know, we can destroy, but often we destroy with dishonesty. If you're dishonest, trust is broken, and it's very difficult to restore that. Now, people in the world already think Christians are intolerant, hateful, rude, and therefore our approach should not be just disrespectful or obnoxious. Rather, we win people over with what? We win people over with love. Again, there's always going to be exceptions. There's going to be people that even when in approaching it with love and being respectful are still going to you know, come against us with hateful things. But 1 Peter 4, 7, and 8 tells us regarding these last days in which we live. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert. Be of sober mind so that you can pray. Above all, Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean that love will forgive people of their sins. It means that your love and by your actions of showing love becomes like a, a blanket, a covering over people. Where just like, you know, it's sometimes it talks about heaping coals on their head. Like, ah, oh, you should be fighting back. You should, be, you should be disagreeing with me and fighting and debating and doing all this stuff. And you're like, sometimes love is turning the other cheek. Oh. It doesn't mean turning their cheek. It means turning your cheek. <laughs> I'll turn your cheek. Yeah, that's what I feel like sometimes. But. And third, and lastly, is committing to God makes a difference. Because of Daniel's commitment to obey God, his unmovable faith, God blessed him and his friends for doing it. 
Not only did they win favor with the officials, but God gave them, it says, greater wisdom and understanding than anybody else. God blessed that more than just eating vegetables and drinking water. God did something even greater and just like, poo, spiritually, God started giving them interpretation of dreams and visions, growing in wisdom and knowledge far above anyone else. God gave them the ability to understand the supernatural. And because of their stance on food and wine, the officials had all the eunuchs do it. They, what they took a stand for made a difference for others around them. What you're taking a stand for, for Jesus and what you're saying true, true to my commitments and my values and my beliefs, there will be people that you'll, it will make a difference in their life. When Daniel was faithful in the small things, God gave him more. Just like that scripture I talked about a few weeks ago about stewardship. If you've not been faithful in the use of worldly wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you in Luke 16, 11? True riches, what are those? It's relationships. It's people. That's what true riches are. Every one of us has a sphere of influence in someone else's life, either to be a godly influencer or an ungodly one. We can go with the flow and ignore problems and conform like everybody else to the world's ways, or we can take a stand and we can make a difference. Many Christians don't vote because they don't think their vote will really make any difference. Does one prayer make a difference? I believe it does. As we look at more chapters in Daniel in the weeks ahead, we'll see how prayer in Daniel's life made a difference. I encourage you to pray. I encourage you to fast. I encourage you to go and vote for those who will lead our country. And I, I believe God saves and he heals and so that we can make a difference by our testimony, by your testimony. It's powerful. It's one of the most powerful tools in witnessing you can do. Tell someone your testimony how Jesus has made a difference in your life. Just as Daniel was a man of integrity, the Lord is asking us to make a commitment to purity, to honesty and integrity, and to make a difference. Jesus' death on the cross made a difference for us. Made a difference, and just like many of you, my life changed the moment I said yes to Jesus. The moment I put my faith in him and I prayed a prayer that one first time in my Gave him my life. The moment I prayed and asked God for forgiveness of my sins, and I believed him, I was saved, and he does the same for any of us as well. Then it's that lifetime commitment, a lifetime commitment to follow him all the days of my life, and that commitment will always come with a cost, but I wouldn't want to do anything else. Just as the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I read this, in my devotions yesterday. This is an important verse for us all to commit to. That I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. Lord God we thank you for your word. And, and what you exemplified through this young man. When things were stolen from him, when his identity, when his, even his own body was 
part of his identity and part of his future. Many things he couldn't help but have taken from him, but he could never have his faith and his commitment to you taken from him. Thank you that he stayed true to purity. Thank you he stayed true to his commitments to follow you no matter what surrounded him, no matter what was being forced upon him. Even as he was being told and indoctrinated into ungodliness, thank you that he could still be a light in the darkness. And Lord, I even pray for those, especially our kids that are that are followers of you in our, in our schools, in our universities. Protect them, Lord. Protect them. May they continue to stay strong for you. May any of us as well in our workplaces, in our work environments, be a light in the darkness. Be salt. Be light in the community. And Lord, may it be understood that as I faithfully walk with you, Faithful, faithful, faithful. You do eventually bring the fruit. And I understand, Lord, there's always more days of faithfulness than fruitfulness. And Lord, we know that what you've done in us, you will complete. What you've done in us can make a difference for someone. And I pray, Lord, we would take that to heart, to go out and tell the world what you've done in our lives. If there's anyone here today, either by watching this morning or, or here in this room that is unsure of their commitment to you today, we can take a stand for you. To say yes to you and, and pray this simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. Will you be Lord of my life? Will you be my Savior? Will you help change the way I think as I repent and I turn from my compromises that I've made if there's anything that I've just continued to do and I've been ignoring it, Lord, today would be a moment I repent. I turn from that, God. I want to be right with you. And Lord, we would. We would know that your grace is there to the moment we ask, the moment we confess it to you, you forgive us. You cleanse us. And I can think that I can walk out of this room here today free free in you Lord it's not because of any of my own perfections or what I do but it's that I commit to follow you and you change me to be like yourself as I daily take up my cross as I follow you invite your Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me you develop your godly fruit in me so that I can be a person of integrity and commitment We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. My name is Billy, and I'm the online media director here at Polson Foursquare. I hope that the message was encouraging to you. And if it was, consider subscribing or following us or even sharing it with a friend. If you're looking for more information, you can find that at polsonfoursquare.org or check out our Facebook. With that, I hope that you have a blessed week and we'll catch you next time.